Welcome, everyone. Very nice to have you with us. My name is Ed, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, along with my wife, Hannah, who's down here at the front, we lead the church here. Um, a quick thing just before we start. Um, sometimes I feel like God speaks to me. Uh, don't always get this right. But just during the worship, I saw this very clearly, and so I thought I'd tell you. Um, it's like a big oak tree, um, and there was a little child sitting at the bottom of it. And what I felt God was saying is that there was someone, someone here who, um, growing up, the only place they really felt safe was beneath this tree. And what I felt like God wanted to say to you was, um, uh, he is going to be that tree for you, and he is going to keep you safe for the rest of your life. Um, so if that's you, um, it would be great just to um, let me know, and I'd, I'd love to pray for you at the end, but no pressure. Good. Good. Uh, so I'm aware that there's lots of people who are here who are kind of visiting us. Um, maybe it's your first time. Would you just mind um, letting all of what I've just got to say in the next sort of 20 minutes or so just wash over you? Because really this is um, for home team people. This is for people um, who are part of the church. Basically twice a year we talk about money. And this is the second of two weeks on money. And so if you're a guest or visitor, you can just go, ha ha, not for me, and let it just wash past you for everyone else. This is for you. Uh, because um, it's good for us now and again to talk about money. Last week, I talked about uh, Jesus' parables, uh, the parable of the servant and the masters in it. And there's a master who gives a huge amount of money, equivalent of maybe $80 million in today's money, to three servants. Two of them use it wisely and give it back to him. And one servant is so scared that he buries it in the ground, doesn't do anything with it, and the master is displeased with him. And there are two real, really main points from this. One, the master stands for God, and that means, therefore, what Jesus is saying is, God it is who has all the money. He's the one who has all the money in the whole universe. And despite what we would love to believe about ourselves, despite what we desperately hope to be true, we are not the master. It's not actually our money. It's all his. Point number one. And then point number two, therefore, what are we doing with what we've been given? Are we holding our money generously and openly and trying to be as free with it as possible, or are we clenching tightly to it because it's ours and we do not want anyone to take it away from us? Jesus says holding tightly onto something that actually isn't yours in the first place is not going to go well for you. So why not? treat it as it is, which is his, and be as open as possible with it. Now, I understand that for many of us, in the midst of student debt, living in one of the most expensive cities in the whole world, having um, this uh, need to pay rent that just seems absolutely ridiculous, and uh, for a lot of people, actually just living paycheck to paycheck, month to month, freelance job to freelance job. The idea that all this is God's is impossible to get your head around. How on earth do we deal with that? And yet, despite the difficulties that we have with it, that doesn't actually stop it from being the reality and actually being the truth. But I do, therefore, want to ask a different question today, which is, even if we theoretically do believe it, it is all God's. Even if we do think, yes, let's try and be as generous as possible, why is it 
that we find it so flipping hard to be free and open with our money. The reality is, Jesus spoke a lot about money. He spoke about money far more than he did about, for instance, sex, forgiveness, love, even faith. The things that churches talk about all the time, Jesus didn't actually spend that much time talking about them. What he concentrated on was money. In fact, one in ten verses in the Gospels is devoted to the subject of money. And I was thinking, if, um, if Hannah and I spoke about money as much as, Hannah, as much as Hannah did, as much as Jesus did, we would no longer have a church. No one would come to our church because they'd go, oh my goodness, they're talking about money again. And I'm thinking that this sort of sparse area here in the um, church is because we talked about money last week and people are going, not coming back for more money. So... I understand why people don't really want to hear about money, and sometimes this is for very good reasons. I want to give you two, as I did last week. Firstly, churches have spoken about money as a way of beating people with the guilty stick. It's the money guilt stick. You are a Christian, and you should therefore be giving away more money. That's one reason. The second reason people do not want to hear about church in, in uh, do not want to hear about money in church is because of some terrible, terrible theology. And I have to say, it's quite prevalent in this city. It's quite prevalent in this country. And it goes something along the lines of God wants you to be rich and successful. And if you are not rich and successful, it's because there's something wrong with you. And if you want to be rich and successful, give money away mainly to me, and then you will be rich and successful. This is prosperity gospel, and it is complete and utter, utter BS. It's got nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth. It's got nothing to do with the New Testament theology. And if you've heard it, I would please try and discard it as much as possible. But for these two reasons, I have every sympathy for you going, I really don't want to hear about money in church. Thank you very much. However, as I said, Jesus talked about it a lot. And we must be very careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And the reason Jesus talked about it so much is because money is blindingly powerful. And because it's so powerful, it can cause serious damage to people. And Jesus does not want any of us, the apples of his eye, the height of his creation, to be damaged by anything. In his teaching, um, in Luke's version of this, I'm going to read from Matthew in a minute. Jesus says, watch out. Because he knows how powerful it is. And he doesn't want anyone to be hurt by it. So, this is Matthew 6. Hopefully it will come up behind us. And Andy, if we can keep this up, this would be great. Verse 19. Very, very famous little passage here. Do not store up your, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve both God and money. Now, this comes uh, in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his sort of ethical teaching, and it's a kind of manifesto, really, into the kind of community that he is creating around himself. And it is an extraordinary community, and one that we, if we ever saw a kind of glimpse of it on earth, it would be quite incredible. And that is what we're trying to do here, is to create a glimpse of it on earth. And our passage here is in three sections. The first is about treasures, verses 19 to 21. The second, kind of sandwiched in the middle, is this slightly strange tangent about eyes. And the third is a return to the theme of money and who we are serving from verse 24. And whilst this slightly strange eye tangent in the middle seems a little incongruous with the rest of the two bits about money, it is actually the key to understanding the full force of what Jesus really wants us to know here. And so let us start there. The picture, verse 22, pretty simple. It is this. The eye, consider your eye, is like a conduit into your heart. What you focus your eye on goes straight into your heart, your whole body, mind, and soul, and it defines and characterizes it. So if you look at light, then light goes into you and you are filled with light. And conversely, if you look into darkness, you are filled with darkness and everything is in dark. Good, relatively simple. However, there's something a little deeper going on here. Just um, play a little game with me, if you don't mind. Could you all just close your eyes? Can't see anything? Okay. As you close your eyes, you don't have to do this, by the way. It'd be much more fun if you do. Just imagine yourself getting up out of your chair, kind of making your way with your eyes closed out of the aisle, then you go to the back of the church, you've still got your eyes closed, stumbling around, feeling for things. You try to make yourself a coffee. Ow! I burnt my hand. Ow! I burnt my hand again. I'm not making coffee. Okay, now I'm going to walk out the door, and then I'm going to turn left. And um, how long is that pavement, and where does the road start? And I'm going to try and cross Hollywood Boulevard. And then I am going to try, and having crossed Hollywood Boulevard, I'm going to walk up. Oh, wait a second, is that a car? That could have been a car. Ah, did that nearly hit me? Okay, now I'm going up to Barnstall Park and I'm going to sit at the top of Barnstall Park and I am going to, with my eyes still completely closed, look at the beautiful view over the whole of LA. But I can't do that because my eyes are closed because I'm in complete darkness. How easy was that to do? Pretty hard. You can open your eyes now. This is the point about darkness. When we are in it, all we see is darkness. It does not matter how beautiful and bright the day is. It doesn't matter if the sun is in the sky and the sky is completely clear blue and you can see all the way to the sea. When you are in darkness, when your eyes are closed, when they are not working, all you see is darkness. And this is what Jesus wants us to know about money. Money can be like a big black hole for those who focus on it. It only is like darkness, and it only creates darkness in us. We cannot see anything else other than darkness, if that is our fixation. Specifically, point number one, Jesus wants us to know that it blinds us, and it blinds us to our attitudes towards it. So Hannah and I, on Friday nights, Friday night is our date night. It's good to have date nights. We try and have a date night on Friday night. Don't ask us out for dinner on Fridays. We're having date night. Do ask us out for dinner every other night of the week. We will come. Uh, but Fridays is date night. And what we do in date night is we try to have a nice meal, and then we share a bottle of wine. 
sometimes more than a bottle of wine, but let's just stick with a bottle of wine that we share between us. Now, the thing is, I eat and drink faster than Hannah. It's how I keep this Adonis-looking body in shape. It's eating fast and drinking fast. So we're sharing a bottle of wine, but I've drunk my glass of wine before she's finished mine, so I fill mine up. And then probably I've finished my second glass before she's finished her first glass, and then I fill mine up again. And this has happened happily for about 10 years, until quite recently Hannah said, you're drinking quite a lot of more wine than me. That's not fair. And I hadn't even noticed. I just thought, you know, a guy's got a drink. And I've finished my drink, and so now it's time for me to drink. I hadn't even thought of it. And so now, over the last few years, what we're doing, we measure out our glasses. I know, sexy date night, we measure it to make sure that they are at the same level. And then when I've, it doesn't matter how quickly I finish mine, we're waiting until Hannah's finished hers, and then we can fill it up again. Now, the thing is, though, when Hannah's not looking, I often put a little bit more wine in mine because I just, because, because, because I just need it. Now, would I ever have thought I'm greedy? No, not really. It's not something I even think about. I'm not greedy. No, I just, you know, I, could, I just need more wine. I just do. I'm bigger. That's the sort of thing I would say. And also, there's more wine. You know, if she wants more wine, she can have more wine. But we're just having, you know. Never think I'm greedy. This is what Jesus is saying. It blinds us, money in particular, to our actual attitudes towards it. In my experience, no one thinks they've got a problem with money. Have a think about this, though. Have you ever, I'm sure you haven't, I'm absolutely sure you've never said anything like this to yourself. I have, but you won't have done this. I'm not miserly, I'm just prudent and responsible. I'm not irresponsible, I am just free and extravagant. I'm not greedy, I just work hard and I deserve to reward myself with really great things now and again. And quite frankly, if other people worked as hard as I should, that they can reward themselves as well. Or I'm not ungenerous, I just need quite a lot more money in order before I can actually give anything away. You won't have said any of those things. Because very few of us think that we have any problem with money at all. And if you think of nearly every other way in which we stumble and fall in life, it's quite obvious. Think about murder, for instance. When you've murdered someone, it's really obvious you've murdered them. Look at them. They're dead. Oops, I murdered them. You've murdered them. Similarly with adultery. No one accidentally falls into adultery. Who are you? You're not my wife. How did that happen? We know when we've done these things. We know when we are choosing not to forgive someone. We know when we're lying. We know when we've stolen something. We know all of these things. With money, we find it very difficult to actually understand our attitudes towards it at all because it blinds us. And just to round the point home, now probably some of you are beginning to think, I wonder if I am. I wonder if I am a bit tight. I wonder if I am a bit greedy. And you'll be thinking, oh, I'm beginning to think about this. But if you're anything like me, you will be trying to stop thinking about that as quickly as possible and then go and have a nice lunch and never, ever think about that thing ever and ever again. In fact, think about anything other than that because it blinds us. And it also blinds us about our beliefs, about what it can do. Feeling uncomfortable? 
Jesus does that a little bit. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, though, just so you know. As I said last week, um, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, who um, in real terms now would probably be the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, eat your heart out, he would be the one. He was asked, how much money is enough? I said this last week. He said, just a little bit more. And how many of us would also think something similar? Just a little bit more would be great. I don't need loads, just a little bit more. Now, there isn't necessarily anything wrong with making more money, but rather the issue is the motivation behind thinking that we need to. Because when we are brutally honest, the full articulation of this belief is actually something along the lines of, I need a little bit more money because then I will be secure, because then I will be significant, because then I will be able to have a happy life, then I will be completely free. And to all these, unfortunately, Jesus says, I want you to be all of those things, but money's not going to do it for you. Because most importantly, money blinds us to its power. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, capital M, money. As you'll probably be aware, the traditional uh, rendering of that uh, last word, money, with a capital M, is mammon, which is an Arma uh, Aramaic word, which means um, profit or wealth. And what Jesus is doing is he's personifying this concept as a god. This is a rival god. And gods, as we know, are powerful. Gods, as we know, need service. They require our devotion. And in the case of money, it's no different. It is, and it can become not what it is, which is just money. It can become a fully power-wielding God in our lives. Someone uh, sent me a very moving text this week um, after last week's talk, uh, and it said this. When I allow myself to dwell on the cost of living, on my monthly outgoings, a wave of heat comes over me. I want to curl up, stick my fingers in my ears, and cry for my mum. Money has a strong hold over me. This is its power. The author, um, David Foster Wallace, who um, actually very sadly committed suicide about 10 years ago, um, brilliant mind, brilliant writer, certainly not a Christian, um, but he uh, did this commencement address at Kenyon College, 2005. It is a brilliant piece of communication. It is a brilliant um, uh, piece of uh, just uh, understanding the world we live in. I highly recommend go and find it on YouTube. Now, this is quoted in a Tim Keller book, so you may have heard it before. He's a famous Christian author, but he, um, again, not a Christian, highlights something that is so true about life. He says this. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. 
There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel that you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will never ever you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. This is why we find it very difficult to be completely free from money. Despite wanting to and believing that we should be free with it, and probably knowing deep down that it will be very good for us if we are, the problem is it has extraordinary power. It is like a vortex. It is a dementor's kiss. It is a black hole, and it will suck you in and not let you out. Jesus does not want that for anyone. And that is why he talks about it a lot, because he uniquely has the power to free us from any concerns about money, to be completely living above it, to not worry about money, to not worship money, to not go after money, but to serenely glide through this life above all concerns about money. This is what he wants for us, and it is real because he has the power to do it. And his antidote is very, very simple. It's two parts. Part one, identify where your treasures actually are. It strikes me that this city's primary allure is probably not money. I don't think people come here primarily to make money. I think it's probably fame or success or influence uh, or beauty, those sorts of things. Those are the things that, come, that people come here for. But probably, not far after, money is somewhere in the mix. Consider the Kardashians, for instance. I do love the Kardashians. I just think they're great. I love everything about them. But, and probably they're, they're, um, un, they're the, the main reason for them to be alluring to people, people really want to be the Kardashians, is because of uh, beauty and relationships and influence. I would think those sorts of things. But it can't be money, can't be that far behind, right? If they were dirt poor and still the same people, I don't think they would have as much influence. Because money's always tied in with this stuff. So what are your eyes on? Where do you tap meaning? What is it that you cannot do without? What are you going after? All of us are people, and therefore we have mixed motives. So we're never going to be pure. I um, spent the afternoon with someone who... <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> But what are you going after? 
because anything that is in darkness can have huge power over us. If you consider the things that sit in the shadows, they loom much larger than they are. They dominate us. We don't tell other people about them because they're secret and they're hidden. And they actually can direct our whole behavior. But bring them out into the light and they immediately lose so much of their power. One thing I've always um, felt has struck me was I, I wasn't a Christian, but I um, uh, have a godfather. She's my, my brother's godfather. I kind of wish he was my godfather because um, he's really cool. Uh, but I, I meet with him, and he's an old priest. And um, he, um, we were talking, and I think he was desperate for me to become a Christian, uh, but in a very nice way, so I didn't feel too pressured. And I just thought, no way, I'm becoming a Christian, but I'll enjoy this little chat. And what he said is, one of the things that's most powerful is those things that we keep hidden, that we don't want people to know about, those things that bring shame and a secret and a dark, when we speak them out, what we do, and this is the bit I love, is we just let God's fresh air blow all around them and all the stink and the stench of them evaporates away, straight away. And they don't seem so horrible and deathly and unmanageable anymore. We can actually deal with them. Locate your treasures. Pull them out of the darkness and say, this is what I'm going after. It will be more than one thing, probably. Pull them out and allow God's fresh air to blow all around them. And they stop having so much power. Having done that, Relocate your treasures as things that are heavenly and have eternal value. Heavenly treasures are very simple. They're anything of God's kingdom. Anything and everything of God's kingdom. They are good news to the poor. Poor, spiritually poor is what Jesus is going for. Spiritually poor are the people who haven't had good news, who've had bad news the people who have lost all hope, the people who think life is meaningless, relationships are meaningless, no one cares, my life is of insignificance. These are people who are poor in spirit. These are people who Jesus comes straight for and goes, no, absolutely not. I refuse that to be your story any longer. Here I come with good news for you. There is hope, there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is love. You are more significant than you have ever understood and I am going to show you it. That is a treasure in heaven. Another treasure in heaven is this, the oppressed being set free. There are people in this room who feel oppressed all the time. They feel oppressed by things that have happened to them, things that they've got involved in, by the nature of just their lives in this city. They feel a heavy weight, oppression all the time. Jesus comes and says, I am setting the captives free. I am releasing you from all the fear and the worries and the shame of what's gone before. I am setting you free from all societal, all religious, all political, all relational, all family abuse. And I'm setting you free now. And it means recovery of sight for the blind, physical and spiritual. It means those who are in poor health, those who cannot walk, those who cannot see, 
those who are suffering from long-term illness. Jesus comes to heal. He comes to heal, physically heal. And he comes to spiritually heal, where we've gone after all the wrong things and we've got our lives into a huge mess. He comes to set us free. That is treasure in heaven. Jesus says, go after that. Go after that. It's the only thing that really matters. That really, truly, eternally matters. Go after it. Find it. Make it happen. Get involved in it. Give money to it. Pour your whole heart into it. Because this is the meaning of life. It's when we do that that money loses all its power. Would you like to rob money of its power? So that it can just be money again. It can just be flittery, flottery money. I have no idea what flittery, flottery means. It can just be that in our hand, able to be, not have power of us, not make us feel anxious, not worry us, but just be money again. This is when money becomes extremely exciting. Because money, whilst it's very powerful and can rob us of things, can also do extraordinary things. So let us be a community that wants that for our money. To not have any power in it anymore. The Christian contention is that our wealth, and don't worry if you've got lots of money, do not feel guilty if you've got lots of money, but also do not feel self-satisfied because you've got lots of money. You've just got lots of money, whatever. Also, if you've got no money or you've got less money, do not feel resentful. It will eat you inside. And do not feel self-defeated. God promises to provide for everyone. As Alice read out, the sparrows, you're more important than them, and the sparrows are fine. So do not feel either of those things, but instead go, here's what I've got, and let's use it for good. Let us use it for ways in which I can go, I am so glad about that. Sorry, I'm just editing as I go. It's a bit too long. You don't want to hear about that. Someone told me this week that um, wait staff across the country, do you know what time they loathe working? Sunday lunch and Sunday afternoon because that's when the Christians come to eat. And that is when the tips drop off. How could that possibly be? We should be the greatest tippers the world has ever seen. We should climb over people to try and pay the check quickly. We should be giving tips, not because the people deserve it. In fact, we should be giving huge tips to the worst wait staff, the people who totally suck and have spat on your onion rings. We should give them a huge, huge tip, not because we want them to know we're Christians. Never tell them you're a Christian. Don't do it because you want them to know you're a Christian. Don't do it because they deserve it. Do it because you do not want money to be a power over you at all and you know what it can do for people that it can set them free too so give it away recklessly ridiculously do it all the time I find that so offensive the wait staff do not want to wait on Christians for goodness sake we should be the ones who do not care 
because we don't need to. Sorry. Because also this is how we rob all its power. Um, Hannah was um, looking into um, holiday camps for kids. We've got three kids, and we're trying to put them into a holiday camp. Um, they're quite expensive, these things, uh, and we're trying to work out um, how much we could uh, work out for them. Probably one of them can go. The other two will be fine. Uh, we're trying to work it out. But it was um, $485 for these camps. And um, praying, Hannah was praying about it. And then the next day... Um, these two Colombian uh, nannies who we know in London, sisters, they don't have hardly any money. But they have been praying, and by the way, they pray miles more than me and Hannah. Um, they pray, and they are faithful, and they are wonderful people. But without knowing anything, emailed Hannah and said, um, just felt I should give you $485. So they did. Sorry, find us moving. Uh, that's not because um, we as pastors are needy. Don't give us money. I don't want your money. It's not because we deserve it or anything other than that. It's not because we couldn't possibly afford it. It's because those people have actually understood Jesus' teaching about money. Sorry, excuse me. And do you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to be really generous. Because that's how it works. That's how Jesus set up the whole thing. Now, we do not give in order to receive. As I said, that is terrible theology. However, in my experience, and talking to lots of people who's given lots of money over their lifetimes, the joy of giving is something that just grows and grows. It builds our faith. It makes us feel free. It makes us feel like, oh, great, we've done it again. And no one I know who's given lots of money, including huge proportions of their wealth, has ever run out of money. Amazing, that. It's almost like Jesus isn't lying. So, let me ask you a question. Two questions, in fact. And I'm ending soon, don't worry. Do you think God wants you to be generous? You can just answer that in your own head. Don't say it out loud. It's rhetorical. Do you think Jesus wants you to be generous? Second question. Do you think, do you believe that he, the creator of the universe, is going to look after you? Now, the answer to those questions does not have to both be yes. But if it is, be generous. Go and do it. Just to end, some words about the church. Again, your guest or visitor, um, I hope this was interesting. Please let it all run over your head. Um, but let me give you a little bit of history of our church. So, just in case there are any wannabe church planters here, the received wisdom of planting a church is that you raise like one and a half years to three years worth of money in order to launch your church because then you can kind of parachute down as, as the congregation hopefully picks up and you're going to be okay. One and a half to three years. We had three months because we're idiots. 
Uh, and it was actually through lots of different factors out of our control. But we had three months' money, and then guess what? After three months, we had no money anymore. And so then uh, we took a loan for three months more, and then we launched the church as soon as we possibly could. So I say that because ever since we launched two years ago, the church has been entirely funded by this congregation, with the tiny exception of a couple of um, strange little people who wanted to give us money from nowhere else, but it really didn't make a huge difference, but it was very gratefully received. Thank you very much if you're listening to this. But the point is, we are entirely funded by the congregation, just so you're aware. We have no sugar daddy or sugar mummy, or sugar gender-neutral person. We do not have a sugar daddy. I was talking to someone the other day who said, I never really thought about it, but I just figured that you probably had some sort of um, big glass, um, strange uh, um, kind of funding foundation in the sky who just sort of poured out money to you when you needed it, because I never thought about it. And I went, yeah, I wish. We don't have one of those. We have no, um, no supporting church who funds us or church planting organization or anything else like that. We have just us. That's what runs this thing. And to be honest, I quite like it that way. I mean, it causes me huge amounts of stress and angst, I have to say, but I do quite like it because the idea that some person in Texas, let's just say Texas, is going, oh, I want to reach Los Angeles because it's so dark and evil and whatever, and it's this faceless person just pouring money into us so that we can reach Los Angeles. I don't care. I don't want that. I mean, if there is a faceless person, you know, we'll take your money. But it's quite nice for it all to be ours because it shows that people want it and it shows that it's worth something and it also means that people can be, feel involved in this thing. So why give money? Very starkly. One, because if you don't, it might fail. If you would like this church to carry on, we need money. I'm just saying that. I don't want to scare you. I'm not putting any pressure on you. But if you like this church, we need money to keep it going. Very starkly, very obviously. Secondly, much more important, it will be good for you. It will be good for you to give money to this church or whichever church that you feel part of. This will come as no surprise to you. But in LA, commitment is not that big deal. People don't really do commitment in LA. They quite like uncommitment. Try and organize a party. Is anyone coming? Who knows? Oh, look, a million people have turned up. What a surprise. Next week, three people will turn up because it's LA. Now, commitment is actually something that's really good for us. It gives us stability. It gives us the ability to actually build relationships. It gives us security. It is good for us. The reason, that, so Hannah, my wife, is a beautiful woman. She's a lovely woman. And I always wonder why she hasn't run off with someone else, quite frankly, because there are miles better people than me wandering past her each week. But the thing is, she's committed. So she's got me. And actually, it's better to be committed than to be constantly looking around for something else terrible analogy, but you get the idea. What's that? It's pretty bad. I was trying to be like, I mean, anyway, I'm all right. Uh, I would pick a church and commit to it. Just pick one. It doesn't matter which one. There are lots of good churches. Pick one you like. Don't pick one you hate. 
But Christians do do that because we just think, oh, I hate this church. I'm going to go to it. I probably should. Don't be an idiot. Go to one you like. You might actually go each week. So go to one you like and then commit to it. And by committing to it, do all the things that you can. Do not kill yourself. Do not collapse your whole life into church. There are too many people who've collapsed their whole life into church. And guess what? After a while, they cannot survive. They cannot breathe. And they need to have a long, long time away from church. Don't do that, but do commit to it. And by committing to it, give money to it. It will be good for you. I know that probably a lot of you grew up in churches in other parts of the country, and your parents did the giving money bit. And when it was a giving money bit, you went, oh, great, I don't have to think about this because I'm a little child. Well, now you're an adult, so it's up to you. Now it's your turn. Here's some details. Just rest assured, um, no one's in this thing, as I'm sure you're aware, to get rich. Uh, the kind of career trajectory path for a church planting pastor is pretty flat. It just sort of stays here and then it carries on and it's pretty low where it starts. No one's trying to get rich out of this thing. So don't worry that we're going to be funneling the money off to go and like run off somewhere and to have a nice private island. We're not in it to get rich. thought I'd just say that. <laughs> Actually, I should, I'll just tell you this. Um, uh, Adam and I, a friend, the chairman of our thing, Oh, a year, uh, about a year ago, went to have a look at a church building that we might be able to do church in. And um, it was this old church building that they were trying to develop. And we met the real estate agent. He was a very nice guy. And he said, so what do you want it for? And he said, we want to do a church. And he was like... <clears throat> Uh, and I said, yeah, we, 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 we'd love to do a church. And what advice, you know, we've just arrived. What advice would you give us for, for doing a church? And he said, find anything else to do. It's literally, just find anything else other than trying to start a church in this city. You're an idiot. Which I took to be a big compliment. Uh, but anyway, we're not in it to get rich. But this is what we're looking for. Would you mind, Andy, putting the thing up on the screen? Okay. So this is what we're looking for. Have a look at that. Seven and a half thousand more a month is what we're looking for. Just to give you an idea of where that goes, about half of it is needed just to keep um, doing what we're currently doing. So let's say three and a half thousand to just carry on doing what we're doing. That's what we need month to month. The rest of it, um, and if you want to know what that is, I can tell you, it's basically renting this place, it's supporting uh, Hannah and my salary, it's um, renting the parking lot, it's uh, doing the kind of Sunday kids work, and it's uh, a bit of the worship stuff. Um, but it's basically what you see is then lots of boring things like insurance and blah, 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 and less boring things like all the ministry that we do midweek, et cetera, et cetera. The remaining half is going to go to things that we desperately need to do probably about uh, a year ago, but we are trying to hold off, but we need to do now, which is um, to uh, pay for Alice. It is to pay for... Alice basically runs the whole church, by the way. We, it would be good to pay her. Uh, it, um, it's to pay for Pete, uh, who runs the whole worship thing, and who up until now has just basically done it out of the goodness of his heart. And at some point it is to um, rent an office. Those are the main things. So that's seven and a half thousand. And it's, you know, the, the second half of that seven and a half thousand is not all of those things, it's some of it. 
So really, this figure is a minimum. So I wonder, could you have a look at that? Could you be one of five people who could do $100 a month if this is your church? Could you be one of five people who could do $200 a month? Could you be one of five people who could do $400 a month? One of five people who could do $800 a month? Have a little think. Is there any way that you could go from whatever that was to the next one? Or halfway in between? I understand that lots of people are freelance workers and they um, do not have a steady income. So um, please don't feel like you have to give monthly. But if you're able to give and lump sums or whatever, it's really helpful. And monthly really helps us with our planning. So, if you'd like to, that would be great. My advice with this is do what you feel like God is saying to you, not anyone else. Not what I'm saying, not what any guilt is saying, not what any um, worry about money is saying, but what the Spirit is saying. That's what we try to do. We try to follow him in everything. So if you would like to, and I did this last week and it annoyed people, so I'm going to do it again. I like annoying people. Uh, get out your phone. I know you've got phones. If you type in bread dot church. Now, you don't, I'm not asking you to do this. I'm just saying if you do this. And then go to the little kind of hamburger thing in the top corner. Click on give. It takes you to a thing that looks like that. Give. And then you can click on donate. And then don't do it. But I'm just showing you where to. You can click on donate there. And you can either set up a one-off, monthly, weekly, whatever you like. Okay. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song. But I want to ask you just to close your eyes and I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who looks after us, all our needs. And I pray particularly for people in this room who are in serious financial difficulties. Lord, may we be a church that is frighteningly generous, strikingly so. People don't understand why we give so much money away. And may we look after all of those in our community who are in need in every single way. I pray that you would provide for us all. Thank you that you're the one that we're after and that you're the one that satisfies all our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing a song, and during this we'll take a collection again. Guest or visitor, if you've been coming here for a bit and you're still not sure, absolutely fine. But if you'd like to give, now would be a good time. Uh, you can do it online, you can do it in the um, things, or you can do it on your way home. My advice, though, is um, do it now. If you feel like you, you need to do it now, do it now because you'll just put it off otherwise and then you'll never do it and then you'll go, oh, phew, don't have to hear one of those talks again. And next time it comes around, just so you know, Next time it comes around, if you've done your giving, you can just go, ha ha, I don't have to worry about this because I've set up giving. You might sing that song. 
Uh, but if you haven't, you'll go, oh, I've got to hear this talk again. Anyway, just saying, let's stand and we'll sing a song.